Let's pray as we come now to the Word of God. Our Father, this is your Word. And so we ask that you would help us to listen to it with that in mind. This is your Word. You have not remained silent. You are a speaking God, and you have a message for the whole world and for us this morning through your word. And so we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would open all of our hearts to hear that message, be changed by it, and so honor and glorify your Son in whose name we pray, amen. So friends, John chapter 12, and beginning at verse 12, let's hear God's word. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, Then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, The whole world has gone after him. Do please sit down. Well, good morning and welcome again on this uh, beautiful spring morning with the blossom outside and on this Palm Sunday, of course. Well, the world uh, today also needs saving. But how are we to do it? Some people say the solution, the salvation for the world is environmental action. The retreating icebergs on the polar cap require immediate CO2 emission restrictions, if not even uh, geoengineering, perhaps. Other people say the solution, uh, the, the salvation of the world, is going to be in a mass popular movement against the authoritarian powers that be. So witness the Arab Spring or the Occupy movement with its vendetta masks. The, uh, the freedom of information on the Internet is one popular solution right now as well. 
Apparently, according to Julian Assange, WikiLeaks not only has the right to publish secret documents, but when it does so, it's on a moral crusade. Now, as I say, the world certainly needs saving. Who can doubt it these days? Racism did not die in the civil rights movement or at the end of apartheid, I'm afraid. Whatever happened in the Trayvon Martin case in Florida, it has certainly sparked a national conversation on race, even in 2012. People campaign outside the Supreme Court about health care. Oh, yeah, we need solutions. But what are they? How do you save the world? Well, that question was very much in the air this Passover uh, feast. Uh, Jesus in in, uh, John's Gospel, chapter 6, just beforehand, uh, a chapter or so beforehand, had already once resisted the people, making him their king by force. But now he uh, is coming to Jerusalem at the great feast. And massive crowds, you see, gathered uh, for Passover, for this kind of Passover feast. The the Jewish historian Josephus writes of one Passover, 30 years after this one here, that there were two and a half million people present. Now, that may be an exaggeration. Josephus tended to exaggerate sometimes. but, But whatever, we're certainly talking crowds larger even than the million man march on Tahrir Square in Egypt that sparked the Arab Spring. And they clamor around Jesus, these people, this massive crowd, clamoring around Jesus saying, Hosanna! That is, save! That they're looking at Jesus to save them somehow. In fact, uh, they uh, apparently have an opinion as to how they want him to do it. And so they greet him with the uh, rather traditional sort of uh, biblical welcome. The blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, equivalent to a sort of welcoming God's name sort of biblical greeting. But then they tack on to it uh, deliberately, it seems, even the king of Israel. And so what are they doing? They're asking Jesus to kick out the Roman army to occupy Jerusalem. And set himself up as their political king. For that, they think, is the way to get saved. Well, is it? Is that the way we will get saved today? John, in this passage, presents us with three symbols, I think deliberately, that point us to the real way that Jesus saves the world. First, of course, palm branches. (laughs) So if you look down at verses 12 and 13, you will find the well-known reason why today is called traditionally Palm Sunday. Uh, The people took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. 
And as has often been noted, it is ironic that this crowd who shout his praises in a few days will shout for him to be crucified. Uh, you, you may not know that, in fact, John uses the same word for crying out or shouting in both places to underline the irony and the connection between the two events. What is less frequently noticed is the symbolism, though, of the palm branches themselves. Palm trees were and are, you know, around uh, Jerusalem, uh, though they do not ripen to palm dates as they do apparently down in Jericho. In Leviticus, in the Old Testament, Israel is told to celebrate with palm branches, but at the festival of booths, not the Passover festival. And it seems, though, that these palm branches became a symbol of a national assertion, or at least nationalism generally. And so, a hundred or so years before, when the Maccabees reconquered Jerusalem militarily from the occupiers, the Seleucids, the people celebrated with palm branches. Again, when the temple was finally cleared a few years later by the same uh, Maccabees and their military actions, the people celebrated with palm branches. And when, after our period, the Jewish people rose up in revolt against Rome, they made their own currency, they minted coins with palm branches upon the coins. And so the palm branch was a symbol of national assertion, a celebration of the nation, perhaps not quite like the symbol of the eagle for America or Uncle Sam, but a symbol of national recognition, importance, and indeed pride. And so by gathering this symbol as Jesus came into Jerusalem, they were claiming him as the king of Israel, just as they said They are asking him to do what Judas Maccabees had done by riding into Jerusalem with war and political intentions to throw out the Romans and reestablish the the rule of David in his own line, now uh, Jesus as king of Israel. So imagine then the millions of people spanning out throughout the area, or hundreds or thousands at least. Perhaps you've seen some of those pictures of Tahir Square in Egypt at the Arab Spring. Imagine them waving their pictures, uh, if you like, of the bald eagle, shouting, King of Israel, or President. It was very clear what their intentions were. They wanted Jesus to be their literal, political, perhaps military, king. Now, it's easy for you and I to criticize them this side of the cross. Now, we know the story of the of Easter, the death and resurrection of Jesus, it's easy for us to criticize them for misunderstanding what sort of Messiah he was. But I have to say, at least they were enthusiastic. Their zeal was misplaced. It was zeal without knowledge, and Jesus will try to redirect it with a different symbol, as we shall see in a moment. But they had zeal. They had enthusiasm. And if you and I have better knowledge. We should not have less zeal. Our celebration of Him should be higher, our worship of Him better, our obedience of Him more complete. Still, of course, it is important we do not see Jesus as the sort of 
political military palm branch, Judas Maccabees kind of king. Our salvation is not going to be found through military revolution or political change. They wanted to celebrate Jesus like they had celebrated Judas Maccabees. Uh, He had said this on the eve of his salvation through military conquest. Oh, my fellow soldiers, no other time remains more opportune than the present for courage and contempt of dangers. For if you now fight manfully, you may recover your liberty, which as it is a thing of itself agreeable to all men, so it proves to be to us much more desirable by its affording us the liberty of worshiping God. Fight, therefore, manfully, and suppose that you must die, though you do not fight. But believe that, besides such glorious rewards as those of the liberty of your country, of your laws, of your religion, you shall then obtain everlasting glory. And when they won, they waved palm branches. But Jesus makes no such call to military action. He does not reject their enthusiasm. He redirects it to the true way to save the world. Jesus is not another Judas Maccabees. He is not another freedom fighter. He is not a political revolutionary. Perhaps you think your salvation will come through political force. Perhaps you have some enemy and you feel what they really need is a sort of mixed martial arts punch to the nose to break it so they can learn who is in charge. There may be a time for nations to go to war. This is not dealing with that whole debate. But Jesus contradicts the palm branch symbol now with a symbol of his own. So second a young donkey. (laughs) This is verses 14 to 16. And then, as now, few things less dignified than a donkey could be imagined. In John's account of this triumphal entry, as it's usually called, he, he makes it clear that Jesus chose this means of entrance as a direct counterpoint to the crowd's misplaced enthusiasm. So he says, and or but Jesus found a donkey. They are waving their military conquest symbols. Jesus hops on a young donkey rather quickly. Now, obviously, what Jesus is saying is that he's not come for military conquest. You do not march to war on a donkey any more than you drive to war on a bicycle. The tank of ancient warfare was the war horse. And that was how Judas Maccabees rode into Jerusalem, we know. Jesus turns up on a rather small bicycle, his legs touching the ground on either side, trailing in the dust. The donkey perhaps braying as he went, as donkeys would do with being rather frightened by all the crowd. Eeyore, eeyore. Uh, Bishop uh, J.C. Ryle noted that any... Roman soldier would have been unable to report to his garrison that Jesus had any kind of military intentions at the time, even with this massive crowd around him. But he was riding on a rather small donkey, sort of going, Eeyore, Eeyore. And actually, you see, 
such symbols still matter today. There's a cartoon of a crusader riding a horse carrying one of those big shields, you know, with the the cross on it. The cartoon shows this crusader thrusting a long spear down on the throat of someone supine on the ground, lying flat on the ground, looking up, the spear thrust down at his throat. And this person is looking up at the crusader on his source, and the person is saying something like, tell me more about Christianity. I am terribly interested. (laughs) But Jesus came on a donkey. That much was immediately obvious. He was not riding in on a war horse. He was riding in on a little donkey. Perhaps he even exposed himself to ridicule as the donkey king. Donkey jokes probably did not originate with us as donkeys are inherently funny animals. No one is threatened by a donkey. However he was coming to save, Jesus is saying, it's not by force. But Jesus was actually saying more than that, as his disciples later realized. He was actually fulfilling a prophecy. Uh, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And that prophecy was from Zechariah. And as is often the case, the whole context of the prophecy is helpful. So if you have a Bible, you might like to turn to that, Zechariah chapter 9. And the quotation is from uh, verse 9, but as I say, the whole Uh, context is helpful. It's just towards the end of the Old Testament. If you can't find it or don't have a Bible, don't worry, I'll read it out for you. And uh, Jesus is fulfilling verse 9, but then immediately afterwards in the context, that uh, verse 9 prophecy is explained by the context verse 10, which uh, goes something like, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So Jesus is not just saying that he's not come in war, though he is saying that. He is saying that he's come to provide peace and that this peace will be a global peace. How will this global peace occur? Well, look then at uh, Zechariah 9, verse 11. It goes on to explain, as for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. How? By the blood of the covenant, Jesus will save the world for global peace. Now, you see, this connection that is made then in John chapter 12 is is very important. For If it is popular to make Jesus a sort of military crusader, a force of aggression, it is also popular to make Jesus a kind of, you know, long-haired hippie whose policy is simply peace marches. But I'm afraid Jesus is not so naive. Blood must be spilt. It is just his blood, not ours, and his blood for ours. There must be sacrifice, but it is his 
sacrifice. There must be death. But it is his. I've kept this illustration back for a number of years as I've never been quite sure when was the right place to use it, but it seems perhaps that's now. In April 2008, a hitchhiker uh, was uh, rather sadly murdered. Uh, She was an Italian woman who was hitchhiking to the Middle East dressed as uh, as a bride with the agenda of specifically promoting world peace. And she had said she was doing this because she wanted to show that she could put her trust in the kindness of local people. Her body was found in the bushes near the city of Gebzeh. Human nature is such that it can acclaim Jesus with palm branches one day and crucify him a moment later. And by riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, Jesus is not saying that people are inherently good and that everyone would be able to just get along with each other if only we would learn to be nice to each other. Jesus is not saying that salvation comes about through global education plans or global peace marches or hitchhiking to the Middle East for global peace. I think Jesus is as much a realist as the crusader. It is just that he puts himself at the point of the spear. There must be blood. And he himself shed it, his own blood. There must be blame. And he took it. If there has to be a donkey, he will ride on it. And of course, what that means is that each of us has a choice. If uh, riding in on a donkey, the covenant of blood is necessary for peace, well, then we either worship him as king or face the consequences. See, the Bible is clear that wrath was gathering against Jerusalem. God, in his mercy, also provided the sacrifice, the donkey king. Would, would, would they accept it? That's the drama. Would you? Would you live your life in obedience to him, or will you just wave some palm branches and go your way, not realizing that a price must be paid and blood must be spilt if not his, then whose? If not now, then for eternity. Uh, in uh, Shakespeare's Coriolanus, uh, made uh, recently into Ralph Fiennes' 2011 film, but in the original, the Romans realized they must beg the banished Coriolanus for mercy. And Shakespeare has them say, Uh, to each other as they realize they must uh, beg this banished uh, Coriolanus for mercy to say this. Go, uh, Shakespeare puts these words in their mouths, go you that banished him a mile before his tent fall down and kneel the way into his mercy. If this is necessary for your salvation... Think what will happen if you do not accept it. 
Think what will happen if you live your life as if Jesus is not king. If we do not live as disciples of this king, whose blood was shed for us, then we will stand under the wrath of God, whose justice must be satisfied. If not by him, then by who? For the Son of God to shed his blood means that we are faced with a choice this Palm Sunday to celebrate and a change life of discipleship following this King Jesus. Will you kneel your way into his mercy? And if you do, I want you to leave today with this third symbol reverberating in your mind and your heart. So we've had the palm branches. Uh, Military conquest is not the way to save the world. We've had the young donkey, the way of peace by the blood of the covenant. And now we have third, Lazarus. Lazarus. Now, Lazarus, of course, was more than a symbol. He was a person. But he stands as a powerful motif that both draws the crowds and repels the the, the Pharisees. And so John tells us he was a sign. Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, and because of this, verse 10, right before our passage, many of the Jews are putting their faith in Jesus. Now, verses 17 to the end of the passage, the word was continuing to spread about Lazarus being raised from the dead to such an extent, speaking with understandable hyperbole or exaggeration, Given the size of the crowds, the Pharisees now are sort of grumbling to each other, you know. Look, you're you're accomplishing nothing. The whole world has gone after him. Look, the whole world has gone after him. You're not doing any good at all. And they actually speak more truly than they know. Just like Caiaphas had done exactly the same earlier when he had said to the Sanhedrin that it's better for one man to die for the people than for the whole nation to perish. He unknowingly then prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation and not only for that nation but also for all the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. And they plot to take his life and in so doing are fulfilling the means by which he will save their lives. And here they say, the whole world has gone after him. And then immediately afterwards, right after our passage, you can see if you have a Bible open, John tells us that there were Greeks at the feast who were asking after Jesus. Yes, oh yes, the the whole world is going after him. Yes, this is the means for the salvation of the whole world, Jew and Gentile, Greek and Jew, for global peace. Just as, Jesus will say, a grain of wheat dies and falls to the ground, and only then can produce many seeds. So he will die and rise again, and the result will be the salvation for the whole world. And you see, he, to make this point, he carries with him Lazarus. <laughs> if the donkey did not make that point, and the reference to Zechariah was only later understood, Lazarus' presence was a symbol or a sign that everyone got or should have done, And so they ran up to him and said, so what was it like, Lazarus? Were you really dead? How did you come out again? What was it like when you drew your first breath? And everywhere Jesus goes on this march to Jerusalem, there is Lazarus next to him who died and came back to life. Not the final resurrection, but a symbol or a sign of it. 
That is the way of global peace. Jesus must die. He must rise again. We who believe in Him must die to our old way of life and rise to new life. We will find peace with God and therefore peace with each other in the new community of the church and the resurrection to come. When all will stand again as Lazarus did, there will be truly global peace. So Jesus says right after this, the man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. No suffering, no sin, no blood, no war, no pain, no anger, no abuse, no hate, no lie, no horror is too big for this sacrifice. All the suffering of the world, all the sin of the world, all the hidden sins, the public sins, are all covered. Every single one of us, Jesus is saying, can have a a Lazarus experience. You can start all over again. Perhaps uh, you're wondering how your marriage can be saved this Palm Sunday. Look at Lazarus. Perhaps you're wondering how your emotions can be lifted this Palm Sunday. Look at Lazarus. Perhaps you're wondering how your sins can be forgiven this Palm Sunday. Look at Lazarus. Perhaps you're wondering where the power comes to say no to that sin. Look at Lazarus. They all ran out to see him. Uh, Did you really die? Oh, yes. What was it like coming back to life? Alison Yang could tell us that. When she came to Christ, she had been uh, ill. Uh, She'd been sick. Her parents were not Christians. She had heard the gospel. She simply said to Jesus, help me. Thank you. See, no true Christian lives anything other than a life of gratitude, you know. You cannot die and then come back to life and still be a dead person. You're either alive or you're not. It reminds me of the apocryphal story of the man who was convinced that he was dead. He went to see a psychiatrist who told him to read a long book which gave the medical definition of death. And the man came back a week or so later still convinced he was dead, but knowing that one of the signs of life was bleeding. And so the psychiatrist took out a pin, rolled up the patient's sleeve, and pierced the skin until blood flowed. And the poor patient looked down at the blood, looked back up at the psychiatrist and said, what do you know? Dead men do bleed. (laughs) Lazarus 
was alive. He lived. Any Christian is alive. A Christian has a heart for the things of God. A Christian loves the people of God. A Christian loves the church of God. A Christian loves the Word of God. He or she lives. Help me. Thank you. He he lives a life of gratitude, joy, of life. (laughs) It's not just about waving palm branches. It's about coming back to life. And so this Palm Sunday, be a Lazarus. And so become a part of Jesus' way to save the world. For you know, there is no other way to be saved. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this uh, story of uh, Palm Sunday, the triumphal entrance to Jerusalem. And our minds, our imaginations think of those, all those people, that very large crowd gathered around Jesus. We already know how the story will end, how they will shout, crucify him somewhat later, how there will be a resurrection. Yet right now, this Palm Sunday, help us to see the sign, not just of palm branches, not even uh, just of the donkey, but to hear the word that explains that, the blood of the covenant. To see, though, the sign of Lazarus, the new life that is on offer today. Father, we, uh, we need saving. We look at uh, Florida and uh, the tensions there. We need a Savior. We look at the Middle East. We read about the barbarous activities in Africa. We need a Savior. We look at our own hearts. We need a Savior. And so we come to you this morning and say, help me and thank you. We give you the praise in the name of Jesus. Amen.